You can now subscribe and save 20% off with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. That's right. You can have Strava Craft Coffee sent to your door every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks and save 20% off without ever even having to think about it. You'll never have to put in your credit card information. You won't have to worry about if you're going to run out of coffee because you'll always have that Strava coming straight to your door. It's CBD infused. It's rich. It's tasty. It can help you with aches and pains or whatever else you're dealing with. So check them out. Strava Craft Coffee. And if you just want to try them once, you can, of course, use that code DNVR20 to save it off your first order. Or again, subscribe and get 20% off every single time they send it to your door every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. So check them out, StravaCraftCoffee.com. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. Check them out, msudenver.edu slash online for all they have to offer. 40-plus online and hybrid programs, 750 total classes. There's something for everyone. And, and, MSU Denver students work twice as many hours as students attending any other Colorado institution, meaning you can keep that full-time job and further your education. So hopefully you can level up in that job or level up in a different industry. So check them out, msudenver.edu slash online. My boys, what's going on? Happy first day of the off season, first Monday of January. And again, that is the first day of the Broncos off season for what, a fifth straight year? Yeah, fifth straight year that they've gone into this without the postseason. Although, as I detailed uh, in my postgame piece last night, you can find on ddmvr.com. Really, in a lot of ways, the real season is about to begin for this franchise. Yeah, and um, I don't know if that's exactly what you're getting at, but a lot of times when you're bad, the offseason feels like the on season, uh, And that's how it's felt for the Broncos for a, a while here. One thing that we are very confident that we won't be covering here in this offseason is a coaching change and yeah and that's big news um because uh it's it feels like every other year that's just been a part uh of you know uh, the broncos cycle and like we mentioned last night on the show they've kind of tried everything at this point one thing they haven't tried is letting it ride uh and sticking with it and, and trying out continuity which uh, is the official word of the Broncos 2020 uh, 2021 off season. Uh, and, and I think that's where we're at here um, is, okay, well, let's see if this works, run it back, keep most of the same players, keep most of the same coaches. Uh, and um, actually, I don't know if this is on Twitter, but uh, my, you know, Sunday night football ends last night and they cut over to a nine news kind of like Broncos special. Mike Kliss said on there that he believes the entire coaching staff will be back for 2021, including 
Tom McMahon. So continuity is a big part uh, of of what the Broncos are going to do moving forward. But continuity doesn't mean do everything the same uh, because clearly some changes need to be made. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this with you guys um, is because of a stat that I saw come out this morning. Uh, this came from Computer Cowboy on Twitter who uh, showed the chart of expected win probability lost by kicking in go situations at 2020. The Broncos were third to last in win probability lost based on being too conservative. Um, and it's funny because the two teams in front of them or behind them in, in this case uh, are the Los Angeles Rams and the New Orleans Saints. So if Vic Fangio wants to defend himself here, he has a decent case. Uh, but to me, when you are an average team trying to fight and get your way in, you have to go above and beyond. You can't play it safe. This isn't 2015 anymore. Um, so for me, what needs to change for Vic Fangio in 2021 and moving forward, if he's going to be the coach of the future of the Broncos, is he has to get more aggressive. He has to believe in his guys more, uh, and he has to try and uh, try and trust his offense in those situations. Well, and I think everyone remembers last night and the game management decisions, but also well, the, the game that really sticks out to me is against the Kansas City Chiefs, and you knew that the Broncos had to do crazy things in order to beat the Chiefs, and they did a good job of hanging in the game. But when they weren't aggressive against the Chiefs on the road and really a game that there was nothing to lose for the Broncos, just a ton to gain, Vic Fangio was not aggressive. And what just what jumps out to me about this was, guys, we heard that Vic Fangio didn't like how Rich Gangarello was holding back Drew Locke last year. He was he was not being aggressive with Drew, and that was one of the reasons why he made the change at offensive coordinator. Well, this kind of kind of doesn't play into that uh, as well. So you you would like to see Vic be a, be a lot more aggressive, especially for a team that. Next year, we're probably not talking about a 12-4 and four Broncos team. We're talking about a team on the verge of the playoffs, potentially. And you need to take risks in order to get to the playoffs. Because what? A 10-6 and six team this year didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, and the thing is, you've got... If you're a team like the Broncos, where, like you said, you're not a 12-4 and four team. If you're going to succeed, you're going to have to steal things at the margins a little bit. And the problem is, one of the facets of Vic Fangio that's been most frustrating the last couple of years is that this team, I think, has lost at the margins. The EPA stat just kind of proves it right then and there. The, the areas where they could kind of pick up a little bit of, of an advantage, they're giving it away. So that in turn leads to being 12 and 20 over the last two seasons. Am I getting too greedy when I say, like, I want the Broncos to hire an analytics guy like is that so much to ask well it's not because they they you know they they had a game management guide last year and analytics is the way of the future so that's not crazy to ask but like am i being unrealistic is it am i getting my hopes up for something that isn't going to happen yeah, yeah, you you, cer you certainly are because I mean, Ryan, we we say that that's the way of the future. Well, look at the Broncos' coaching staff right now. They they're not trying to go to the future. They're trying to go with experience with the veteran coaching staff to match the young offense and, and this up and coming defense is what it may turn into with a with a lot of new young guys coming in. So they're not trying to go the way of the future like the analytics would be. 
that it's so hard to um, be okay with that, uh, knowing how how much analytics are playing a, a role in everything going on around the league. Now, I think there is a, a place for gut decisions uh, from coaches, but generally, you know, it, it's kind of like um, I don't know. Uh, I just think that more often than not, you should say, what do the analytics say here? Let's go with that. And the based on analytics, they're telling you that more often than not, if you go with the that decision, then you will get the better result in the end. If, if for some reason, you know, uh, you don't feel like the the offensive line is executing and you think like, I just don't trust us to run the ball up the middle here on fourth and one or whatever. Or I, I don't know uh, if if Drew Locke's going to be able to complete this. Whatever it is, like once in a while, just go with your gut. That's okay. But I don't like the fact that as far as I know, there's no one in Vic Fangio's headset telling him, hey, you know, um, uh, expected win per, or expected uh, win probability is there's a big gap between punting here and going for it. Like, I just love I, – I, I would feel a lot more comfortable if Vic just had that information in his ear. So you want you want the money ball type of uh, uh, of coaching where, where it's based on the percentages and everything like that. I just want the percentages available to the head coach so he can <laughs> know what the, what they are. And, and if he decides, like – I forget what it was. I, I want to say the Bronco, the difference between going for it uh, and not going for it in that Chiefs game was something like 24% uh, win probability change. Like, I want him to have to say no to that um, right. when, he, when he makes that decision. I want him to say, like, no, I'm, I believe in this 24% loss in, in, in win <laughs> probability, and I'm still going for it. But uh, there's a part of me that thinks they got rid of that because he didn't want that information in his ear, and I don't like that. Um, you know, there was, of course, um, the, you know, he went for two uh, at one point because of, you know, that's what the analytics said. And it didn't work. And I remember him saying afterwards something along the lines like, I didn't really like that idea in the first place. And uh, but, you know, we went with the numbers and I should have just gone with my gut. And I was like, oh, God, this is this is not trending in the direction I, w- I wish it would. Well, the thing is, though, didn't we have this a similar conversation about uh game management about uh, Vance Joseph in 2017, 2018. So really, has it gotten any better under Vic Fangio? I mean, the thing that they've done better, I think that goes to coaching is that they've cut the penalties over the last couple of years. But in terms of game management, I feel like we're saying some similar sentiments about Fangio that we did about Vance Joseph and that these were reasons why Vance Joseph had to go after two years. So then, guys, it it makes me question if – two people are having the same issue. Is that coincidence? And and they were both just not the best at it and needed more help with it. Or is that something above them and, and looking at the the constant here and not necessarily John Elway himself, but just the, the organization's view on this. I think it's more about a lack of trust um, because the Broncos haven't had a good offense since 2014. I mean, think about that. Like, this team hasn't had a good off, but like, I, you know, 2014, that is, I was barely in my twenties. Uh, <laughs> the last time the Broncos had a good offense. And now um, you're old. And now I'm almost 30. Uh, not, I guess maybe not quite that, but it just, if it, it was ages ago, 
Um, the, the last time the Broncos had a good offense. And I just don't think the coaches trust the offense. Um, and so that's the one thing that isn't brought into analytics is, well, how good is your team at actually creating good plays? Uh, you know, it can tell you what your win probability is if you go for it or if you don't or if you convert it or if you don't. But it doesn't tell you what your probability of converting it is. And I think that's what Vic Fangio's behind the scenes answer would be. Well, I don't trust that offense. They suck. Uh, so that's what has to change moving forward is the offense has to be trustworthy um, to convert short yarded situations. And I know another thing that I think Vic Fangio would say is if we can't convert third and short, what makes you think we convert can convert fourth and short? Um, so I sympathize with that side of it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, um, our guy Bronco Tiz here at, he says nine seconds on the clock. Why not take one more play? I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you. I think it honestly, I think it's because Drew almost threw a pick on the play before. It was like, it, it wasn't almost, but it was not, no one was comfortable when that ball was in the air on that out route to Deontay Spencer, which questionable in itself but uh i honestly think vic saw that play his heart dropped and he was like you know what just kick it okay well, and, and well, there's two things though i'm sorry zach first of all if you don't and this is another discussion entirely if you don't trust drew lock to throw the ball there do you have the right quarterback and second of all that is the situation where it's very easy to have a no risk play to get five, five yards quick out. And if you miss, you're throwing it to the sideline. I mean, it, it doesn't matter really who your quarterback is. Uh, you can have that be a play that has zero negative risk and only potential gain. So yeah, what's, yeah, what's the problem? Especially when you're at 63. If you were at 56, I'm fine with it, honestly. Um, you know, you don't want to risk a pick. You don't want to risk a player getting stopped in bounds, whatever you know your kicker can make 56. Yeah. You do not know that your kicker can make 63. So your your risk reward is definitely there to try and get five more yards even, get him inside the 50s where he's been really good. Mm-hmm. Um so well, and 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 to to add to this after the game, uh it was the first question that was asked to Vic from Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post and he said, you know, did with 9 seconds left did you consider uh getting doing another play to pick up a few more yards? And Vic was was a little confused, and I don't know if he knew it, what he was confused about. Uh, but he said, "Well, there was only seven seconds left." And Ryan kind of looks <laughs> looks around the 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 room, uh, and then Vic ended up saying, um, "You know, we just we didn't think that uh, risking that time being lost potentially was worth it with Brandon McManus's legs." So maybe there was something there. Maybe there was some confusion on how much time was left actually uh, in there. Or maybe Vic was confused and thinking of the first half, but it was interesting because typically uh, Vic's pretty sharp with those things and knows exactly what, what's being talked about. Yeah. I don't like confusion. I don't like confusion. I want, I want um, clean decisions being made, you know, Vance or uh, Vic, I felt like was confused in week one. Uh, about what was happening. It was all happening so fast. They were driving down. They were going to go kick a game-winning field goal, and he sat there with all his timeouts. I feel like there was some confusion or just lack of awareness on calling the timeout during the two-point conversion. I don't think Vic Fangio knew the play clock was as low as it was, um, and he he bailed them out there. So <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know what they need to do. 
But some things need to change in terms of game management. I think that's very, very clear. And I really hope that Vic Fangio is open-minded to something. Um, now, it doesn't, uh, at least initial uh, off-season buzz is that there won't be any coaching staff changes. Because I was going to say, well, let's bring in a, uh, a special teams coordinator who also specializes in game management. Uh, you know, I know Joe DiCamillis uh, was very heavily involved in game management when he was here. So that maybe that's a help. But Vic Fangio clearly needs help in this area. I don't think that's even debatable at this point. Yeah, no, it's not. But Ryan, what I would say is don't get your hopes up because after week one, the, the, the uh, issue that you're talking about that happened in week one, Vic Fangio said we're not changing anything. And so I would be shot. I, I would be surprised, honestly, if they do make a significant move, uh, whether that's, you know, changing the way they do it during the game and telling us about it, or whether that's bringing someone in specifically to help Vic during a game. Yeah. And I think part of the, the, the result we're seeing here is this team remains pretty poor in end game situations. That guy that guys, that touchdown last night by the Raiders at the end, that was the 11th score the Broncos have allowed in the last seven and a half minutes of a game when it was a one-score game, when the Broncos were leading by one score or tied. Only two other teams, Detroit and Tampa Bay, in the last two years have allowed more total scores in that situation than the Broncos have. And that is got to be the second most, if not the most concerning thing with Vic Fangio. Um, You brought him here to be an ace defensive coordinator and his defense flat out period does not close. Um, There's no case to be made that it does. Uh, And so that has to change moving forward. And that to me is, isn't a talent issue. Uh, You know, if you can stop them in other times in the game, you can stop them at the end. It's the way that Vic Fangio is calling the defense at the end of the game that clearly isn't working. That has to change moving forward. Well, and just defense overall. You, you brought him in not to be a CEO, uh, n- not to help the offense and be good on defense. You brought him to make the defense elite. And I know he was down a lot of starters. And that's why he is getting the benefit of the doubt. But moving forward, you only get so many benefit of the doubts before it's just not working. Guys, this year, we talked about how the defense needed to be elite while this offense was average. That was their formula to the playoffs this year. Obviously, the offense wasn't average. The defense wasn't elite with so many injuries. But the defense only held teams under 20 points in three games. That is not even close to elite. I mean, that's barely showing flashes of elite. Yes, did we see flashes of elite defense? Yes, specifically against New England, we did. But it's got to be more consistent than that. And the fact that they allowed over 27 points per game is nowhere close to what needed to happen. It was a bottom 10 scoring defense in the league. So that's something that just immediately has to change. You know what? If, if after this year, Vic Fangio has a, a top five scoring defense and he made one or two questionable calls as a head coach and the offense was average, we're still probably talking about a borderline playoff team, at least an improved team, probably a nine and seven team. He keeps his job there. So that, without a doubt, is the most important thing that Vic needs to do is get this defense consistently playing really good. Yeah, and playing badly down the stretch as well. I mean, uh, if you take this the, the last six games of, of the season, you're allow you're allowing just under thirty points per game 
in the last six games. And uh, the interesting thing is you can kind of take, you, you take the new Orleans debacle and everything that went wrong. You're still average. You're still averaging almost 30 points per game allowed in those last six games. And in going one in five at the end in those six games, that's the worst the Broncos have done in games 11 through 16 of a 16 game schedule matching 92 and 2010. And what was it? What's interesting is both of those previous years resulted in coaching changes. This one won't. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. And um, speaking of, you know, of point totals, uh, I, Last night I'm I'm looking up you know the Broncos offense and I, I found an encouraging Pat Shermer stat uh, since 2017 so the last four full seasons the Broncos have scored over 27 points just 10 times which is really bad um, 10 times in four full seasons so 10 times in 64 games uh, the Broncos have scored over 27 points that's terrible. But 50% of those came this season. Five out of those 10 came this year, including four with Drew Locke and one with Brett Rippon, of course, against the Jets. Um, And to me, that's uh, a nice feather in the cap of Pat Shermer. You need more of those uh, for sure. Uh, And it's also a, a, a sign that the talent on offense has certainly gotten better. Um, you know, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, Noah Fan, all these guys contributed to this offense being better this year. You didn't see it enough, but you did see flashes. And on the flip side, the concerning thing about those from a Vic Fangio standpoint is the Broncos were only three and two in games in which they scored over 27 points this year. If you're a defensively based team, you got to win every game. Uh, where you are scoring 27 or more points. You know, we usually set that number at 24. You should be winning games 24-21 consistently uh, with the way the Broncos are paying their defense. Now, they didn't have their whole defense this year, but with the investments they put into it, along with the full investment of their head coach was brought here just to have an elite defense, you got to be better than 3-2 and in games in which your offense scores 27 or more. Yeah, and you you should be five and zero. And then what are we talking about? We're we're still not talking about a great team. We're talking about uh, a seven and nine team right here. But it's not a step back from where they were last year. And just something else, guys. In speaking of that one and five and the struggles, Broncos finished one and five in the AFC West. That is a tough pill to swallow. And I, I gotta say. Uh, kudos to John Elway for really sticking by continuity because this this show today has really opened my eyes to the fact that if John Elway would have made a move at head coach uh, and made made a change, he would have had plenty to back him up to do it. Yeah, and although the the twenty seven point thing is interesting because that's bet that, those five games that's better than only five teams. In terms of how many teams in the league did how many, that much? How many games he had with 27 or more points? Only the Jets, Jaguars, Washington, the Giants, and the Eagles were worse. So is it progress? Yes, but it's far from where you need to be. Absolutely. I mean, in today's NFL, uh, teams are scoring in the 30s every – like there's, there are teams scoring in the 30s every week. Um, there's teams scoring, scoring in the 40s. The Bills are – putting up 40s in the 40s every week for the last three weeks, I believe. Um, so 
this is this is the most perplexing and frustrating thing about the Broncos uh, in this era of football. That in the single most offensive era in the history of the NFL, the Broncos have been atrocious, anemic, uh, incompetent, whatever word you want to use on offense, and it makes it ten times worse. You know, this isn't uh, 1998 where you grind it out and you try to win 17-16 with like two John Elway touchdown drives at the end. Although 1998 Broncos offense was really good. So maybe I should have said like 1993 or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But the point is the Broncos are like decades behind the NFL right now in terms of their offensive output. And it makes it way harder for the fans that makes it hurts the patience the fans have with Drew Locke. It hurts the patience the fans have with Pat Shermer. And the talent is clearly there. So next year, like, there's no more time to wait. This team has to put it together offensively and start scoring points. I was going to say that the whole formula that the Broncos are being built on, at least starting with their head coach, then scares me about all of this, Ryan, because if it's offensive based and all about scoring, then the expectations for Vic should probably be lowered from the defensive side. And instead of, you know, holding teams to 20, maybe it should be. 24 and then you have to score 25 in in order to win and we, and we know that the Broncos offense can get to 25 points but we're still waiting on consistency and who's to say that next year is that year when they're consistently dropping 27 points no one and and that's that's worrisome um the problem is you never it feels like you never get a game where the defense is good and the offense is good too uh it feels like uh, I don't actually know but it, I bet you the Broncos offense uh, is not coming through in the games in which the defense holds the other team under 24 points. Uh, it feels like it's one or the other type of thing, um, and that that's a that's frustrating. What you're saying is that we we don't really ever see any blowouts where the Broncos are ones that benefit. No, it, honestly, yesterday should have been a, a Broncos blowout. Um, like like I was looking up, they turned the ball over. I was like, man, is this gonna are the Broncos gonna pull away in this thing? And of course. Field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal, and then you lose. Um, yeah. It so. kind of reveals how uh, how far this team has to go because that defense that was exploited by the Raiders at times, that defense without most of its starters, had four takeaways, and yet, and that is as close to a sure thing. Four takeaways, no giveaways. That's as close to a sure thing for victory as exists in the NFL today. It was, I believe, the streak was sixty-two games in a row league wide. That teams with four takeaways, no giveaways at one until yesterday. Well, and here you go, guys. Of the Broncos' five wins, only one of them was by more than seven points, and that one win was against the New York Jets. They had one other win in which they won by a touchdown against the Miami Dolphins, and outside of that, it was all less than a touchdown. Yep. And yesterday, they get two tur- two turnovers in plus territory. Came away with zero points from those. That can't happen. That simply can't happen. Can't that, happen. It just did. That's the game. <laughs> and, and, and they lost. Yeah. That's why it can't happen. Yeah. That's the game. You come away with zero points there, you lose by one. Um, other teams, when the Broncos turn it over in plus territory, feels like there's a touchdown in the next two plays guaranteed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, last thing I, I want your guys' thoughts on, because I don't think this has necessarily made its way uh, into the Broncos' Twitter sphere or just the online sphere yet. It's just that 
what I mentioned from Mike Kliss's report on Nine News last night that the entire coaching staff is expected to be back in 2021. And we talked about it on our show last night. We all said that we thought Tom McMahon would be gone and we thought that would be the right decision. So what's your reaction to uh, it? at least the original reporting on this being that Tom McMahon will be back in 2021? Well, Ryan, I love the way that you relay it both times. The entire, just a huge emphasis on entire, of course, with Tom McMahon in mind. And man, I mean, that is sticking by continuity. You got to give the Broncos credit. And you know what? But that's uh, last... the one place where you've had continuity and it hasn't worked. <laughs> well, that that's that's true. And there Well, no, really, no, really... you've had three special teams coaches and or two special teams coaches in four years. So it's hasn't been total continuity. You went this was year three for him. Yeah. The other thing is I don't believe in, in change for changes sake. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to make a change, it's gotta be a reason, right? Yes. If, if Tom McMahon had been fired or is going to be fired, I doubt he will. He'd be a scapegoat. But when you look at the list of problems on this team, where do special teams rank? Um, in terms of importance, it's it's not super high up there. It's pretty well down the list. And, I mean, there were things to be frustrated about, but in the end, the special teams, it was probably middle of the pack league-wide when we get Rick Gosselin's rankings in a few weeks. And if that's the case, then why are you making him the scapegoat when there are other things that are fundamentally going wrong? And that's that's the problem I had with the notion of firing McMahon. It's like, okay, it's a it feels like change for change's sake, uh, just because oh, we have to do something, and that, and that's not the kind of change you should make. But it's not to me. It's not uh, just change for change's sake. It's change for the sake of someone being not good at their job. Uh, and that's what Tom McMahon has been this year, last year, and the year before is not good at his job. Um, so the, on the same ac- account as you don't make changes for change's sake, to me, I don't want continuity for continuity's sake, uh, which I'm worried about in several positions, but especially here where we've seen it for three years, the Broncos have not had good special teams units under Tom McMahon. Uh, and to me, you have to make a change there. That, that doesn't mean – just do it. You should have a plan, but in my opinion, you should be able to get someone who's better than Tom McMahon. Well, and here's what we may see then is in these next 24, 48 hours, everyone keep their job. And then the Broncos are going to take a week or two off and then reconvene. We could very well see the exact same situation that we saw with Rich Gangarello last year, because then all coaching changes will be made in the NFL. We'll know what special teams coordinators are available. And then Vic can say, okay, am I going to be able to hire someone that I think is better than Tom McMahon? Then I'm moving on from Tom McMahon, even though it's two weeks down the line. Or is there no one out there that I think is better than we're going to stay with Tom McMahon? It'll be interesting to see. I think you're right, Zach, uh, that it could be a while, and we might get the classic second quarter of a playoff game, new uh, special uh, special teams coaches fired, news drop. Um, so we have that to look forward to. Um But for now, on the live side of things, that's going to wrap it up for us. We will be continuing things on the podcast side. You can download anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just type in DNVR Broncos. Or honestly, you can just type in Broncos. We're the first one that comes up. Uh, And listen to the rest of it. Of course, you can become a a member of DNVR and leave your questions for us. We will answer them every single day. Yes, that's right. If you're new to the program, we do it every day. 
off season, on season, whatever it is, uh, we're with you five days a week, no matter what. So uh, check us out on the podcast side where we'll be every day for, for the off season. And uh, um, for those of you on the live side, we'll talk to you later. All right. Shout out to everyone who's rolling along with us on the podcast side of things. And we will get to your questions in a minute. But first, a shout out to Breckenridge Brewery, where you can get the Broncos Country Hoppy Pale Ale. Uh, it is a delicious beer. But the only thing uh, better about it than its taste is its looks. I mean, probably the best looking beer can you can find anywhere. Uh, got the old school Denver D on there. Nice touch from them. The orange and blue, which of course you love. I love the font that they put the Broncos country in. It just has very, you know, a very, uh, it gives you some Broncos nostalgia, which I feel like is the only thing that's fueling people right now. And it can fuel you through your Sundays as well. Um, maybe, you know, you sit down to watch, uh, some playoff football this upcoming weekend. You want to think about the Broncos. That's the place to do it. That's the, that's the way you do it. You, you keep the Broncos involved in the playoffs by having some Broncos country pay, hoppy pale ale on ice next to you. So shout out to Breckenridge Brewery for always supplying the right beer uh, for you. And guys, playoffs are here in the NFL, and we've got a playoff weekend like we've never seen before coming up. Back-to-back-to-back games on Saturday and Sunday, and there's no better place to get in on all of the action than our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And when you use promo code DNVR when you sign up for a limited time, you will get promotions like you've never seen before guys what i love about DraftKings is everything they have from of course you you can bet on all of the this weekend's games right now but also the player props you have and all of the odds boosts that they have i mean every day it seems like they're offering an odds boost that you can't pass up uh just bumping your offers up all the time. So make sure to check them out. Go to the app store now to download America's top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and download the app to get in on all of these deals for this weekend and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get all of the great things they have to offer. And don't forget, use that code DNVR only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Through restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Uh, we'll get to the questions here in a second, but Zach, I need your instant reaction to this, uh, reporting coming in from Bruce Feldman, college football reporter, uh, two coaches, Nick Saban is considering for Alabama's soon to be vacant offensive coordinator role, Adam Gase and Bill O'Brien. Oh, wow. Not a surprise. I mean, if anyone's going to be able to turn those two guys around, it would be Nick Saban, but Wow. Wow. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, you know, the thing is, with John Elway talked about football rehab for Brock Osweiler a few years ago. Maybe the best form of football rehab for coaches is getting on Nick Saban's staff as an offensive coach. He's got, you know, he had Sarkeesian, he had uh, Lane Kiffin. Frankly, Gase and O'Brien probably make a lot of sense, although. I would say Gase probably needs the rehab a little bit more than O'Brien does. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you want to talk about rehab, Steve Sarkeesian, like literally and figuratively. Literally, yeah. Um, so, I mean, he goes from like basically college football's blacklist to the head coach of Texas making God knows how much he's going to end up making there uh, a lot more than he was going to make at CU. I'll tell you that if he took that job last year. So, um, 
it's pretty crazy. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me at all because, you know, those guys are really good football minds. Uh, they got where they, they got to the positions they got for a reason. Uh, just in the same way Steve Carson Sarkeesian got in the original position he was able to blow it from um, at USC. So Nick Saban's not dumb. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And, and if I were him, I would probably go Bill O'Brien over Adam Gase, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. And man, I got to say, Texas made a great hire with getting Sark. We'll see. Uh, Texas is not a place where I would want to be a coach right now Um, because, well, I will say the backup quarterback that came in against CU is is really, really dope. So that might take them a long ways, but I mean, Tom Herman was a clear step up from what they had before him and he still got canned. So it's not like, it's basically compete for national championships or you're gone there. Uh, And for a place that hasn't done that in a long, long time, um, that's not a comfortable place to be. Last time they did it, Sark was was the coach on the other side. Uh, so that that's interesting. What I'm thrilled about is that he's staying for the uh, for the championship game. Yeah, that's a that's very helpful for you. Although I don't know how much it's going to matter in the end. <laughs> you don't think it's going to be much of a game? I hope so. Like obviously, you see uh, Ohio State play that way in that in that game uh, against Clemson, and it gives you hope that that they could do that again at the same time like you know that's one of those 20 percent games 20 percent of your games you're going to play over your head 20 percent of your games you're going to play under what you are usually it falls uh in the 60 percent in between so they're going to have to go back to back 20 percent games to even have a chance to compete with alabama if they have a 60 percent game they're getting blown out yeah that that that's a really good point what justin field shows up exactly uh and i i really hope we get the awesome justin fields because that was fun to watch it was a blast all right first question coming in from screw this judy responded perfectly this game five catches on seven targets for 140 yards and a touchdown not to mention the two incompletions came from no call pass interferences good point drew Locke stacked another good game and ended up in a positive touchdown to interception ratio i'm perfectly happy with Locke going forward but i do see something special in zach wilson i see him making that justin herbert impact for a team if we stick with Locke, I think we should get a coverage linebacker. We have three of the best tight ends in the division. We need someone to slow them down. Uh, I keep hearing Micah Parsons, but he looks like an outside linebacker. Who do you guys think will be a better coverage linebacker instead of him? Oh, in the draft, probably if you're looking for a coverage linebacker, it's uh, out of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. And if I butchered that name, I apologize. But the interesting thing with him is he's a smaller linebacker. He's right now around 220 pounds and he's going to have to put on some weight. Is he going to be able to maintain his speed and effectiveness in space? If he gets up to 230, 235, if he can, then he'll go pretty high. I think he'll go in the first round and he could be somebody that as a coverage linebacker, you could be talking about. Is your coverage linebacker, Justin Sternod? Is, uh, is that, is that who they wanted and, and are counting on? That is the forgotten man in all of this. Um, people forget of all the rookies. I think they were most excited about Justin Stranod before he got hurt. Uh, they thought like he was going to fix all sorts of problems for them. Um, and of course he breaks his arm, um, which is of all injuries to have, you don't worry about that one too much affecting him long-term. 
Um, he got all the mental reps, you know, a big time word for young players. Um, I think that the answer to your question, Zach, is yes. Justin Strott is the coverage linebacker. That's at least what they're thinking internally. You know, it takes a lot for Vic Fangio to like a linebacker, and he really liked him. And he's a guy that you have on your roster already that was a day three pick. You don't have to worry about going spending big money on him or using a top pick to get him. I just, guys, I think I'm out on the the Vic Fangio first-round linebacker. I know he did it with Roquan Smith, but he loved Roquan Smith beyond belief. I just don't see a first-round linebacker happening, especially with with how much he likes Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell. Yeah, they like Stranod, and I think if he's healthy, he should be a big part of it. But we are talking about a player who has had two consecutive season-ending injuries in the last two years because he had the biceps tear at Wake Forest in 2019 that cut short his season after, I believe, six games. So the best ability is availability, and unfortunately, Justin Stranod has had some misfortune there. Yeah. Yeah. um, The other name out there in the coverage linebacker sphere is Nick Bolton. Uh, out of Missouri. He's a guy who a lot of people really like. Um, and he's drawing a lot of Devin Bush comparisons. It might be because they look similar on the field. Um, but that's a, what do you think, May? Second day pick? Yeah, I think second day. You're, you're, once we get beyond kind of the first cluster of linebackers, uh, there are some interesting ones on the second day. You talk about him. Uh, Chaz Surratt, a converted quarterback out of North Carolina, is somebody that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Uh, maybe not as strong purely in coverage as these other guys we've mentioned, but a better probably all-around all linebacker. So there are going to be some possibilities for the Broncos to go uh, in that direction. But I think uh, day two might be the, the better play in terms of value here. What's so crazy is the Broncos drafted Justin Sernod to be that guy. Mm-hmm. He gets hurt. They bring in Mark Barron to be that guy. He gets hurt. Neither of them play it down for the Broncos this season. And the Broncos didn't get anyone else to replace that position. It's a place that they knew they wanted and – they didn't get a single snap from someone to play that role. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, how frustrating must that be for John and Vic? Very, I'm sure. Next one coming in from Jason17. Well, guys, this was a good game. As much as I would, would have loved to beat the Raiders, because who doesn't like that? I'm perfectly happy with staying in the top 10 for the draft. I know we all want to talk about the draft, but first I want to talk about people on our team. What do you guys think of Fumagalli? I like what we've seen of him so much more than Vanette. Would you guys be comfortable going into next year with the tight end room of Fant, Alberto, and Fumagalli, or should we dump everyone after the top two and get someone else? Next, as much as it hurts me to say, oh, you want to stop there? Yeah, this is a long one, or we'll probably lose track. Um, Fumaga, I mean, can you save money on Vanette? Because he certainly was a waste. Uh, I, I'll, I'll eat crow on that one. Uh, I really thought he looked like a better Jeff Hireman uh, in camp, and he was not. Uh, he was just a guy. Yeah, and you save $2.7 million if you move on from him this year. Right, see you later. Yeah, that's close to – your RFA tender for Patrick or Johnson or Philip Lindsay. That to me, that's an, that's an easy move. And Fumagalli, I think showed enough to be that blocking tight end, that guy who's uh, just kind of steady and dependable in reserve. You, you get the spectacular flashes from Noah Fant and from Albert O Fant at least is a willing blocker. Although I didn't like the hold uh, yesterday. I think Fumagalli for a depth piece, he's perfectly fine. I think you bring run it back with him. 
Yeah, and you you don't need to uh, to spend money on a third tight end, so you can save money there. And you got on- Andrew Andrew Beck too. Don't forget who's nominally your fullback as well. So uh, that he's that fourth guy, and you know there's your room: Alberto, Noah, Fumagalli, Beck. Next, as much as it hurts me to say, I think we should let Simmons walk. I agree with RK saying that he's very good, but it's not $15 million a year worth. I would love if we signed a guy like Marcus May for 7 to $8 million a year and then use the extra money to re-sign Shelby Harris. I also think we could cut ties with Boye, not because he disappointed this season, but because we are in a position to draft someone like Sertain or Farley to replace him at a much cheaper price and more long-term upside. Similarly, we should cut Casey since he has a heavy cap hit and at this point in somewhat of an un known coming off an injury and where did in in he didn't play before his best injury the last thing i want to talk about is what i'm sure will be talked about a lot in the next couple of days but what did you guys think about the eagles doing full tank last night i think it was a disgrace to the game it's one thing to try and lose it's another thing to take out the quarterback you started because he was doing too good of a job thanks for your coverage this year and what was another disappointing broncos season can't wait for the off season next year now hang on here let's not get this twisted Jalen Hurts was not playing well at all um in that game in fact I believe let me get the stats up here in a second um but I believe his stats were absolutely atrocious so that's not exactly what happened with that being said it was a terrible terrible look for the Eagles uh and the NFL I have to imagine is really not happy that that happened on Sunday night football in a close game where they just kind of punted. Um, with that being said, the Eagles set themselves up to be completely safe uh, here because Doug Peterson said during the week that they were going to try to get Nate Sudfeld in in the fourth quarter at some point. Uh, so he kind of covered himself. Now, do I think that behind the scenes they said, hey, if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, just put in Sudfeld and we'll lose? Yes, I do. Uh, but they set it up during the week, so they're kind of covered from there. Um, Jalen Hurts, when he was pulled, uh, a wonderful 7 for 20 for 72 yards and a pick. Yeah, that's not very good. At least he got you something on the ground. He had a couple of touchdowns. He averaged north of four yards per carry. Nate Sudfeld couldn't even do that. He was 5 of 12 for 32 yards with a pick, and he was sacked twice. Hurts was only and sacked fumbled. once. Yeah, uh, Hertz was not playing well. Sudfeld was worse. I mean, but how many times have they just have they brought Nate Sudfeld onto the roster over the last few years? I mean, uh, every team it seems like at some position has that one guy who inexplicably keeps sticking around. They see something in him. They keep bringing him back on the fringe of the roster. But yeah, Nate Sudfeld. I have to think this might be the end of the road for him, finally. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, the Eagles were definitely tanking. Yeah. But Jalen Hurts was also not playing well. Um, and I just – I'm worried that they were a little too obvious. Uh, and I, the last thing I want to see in the NFL is a lottery. Uh, but I have a feeling there's conversations being had today in, in the NFL offices about how do we stop that from ever happening again. I truly think if that's an 11 a.m. game, Barely anyone's talking about it today, but it happened on Sunday night football, the last game of the regular season, everyone's last little hit of football uh, for the week and betters, you know, tons of betters were pissed off because, you know, they had the Eagles and just in general, 
it was a really bad look for the NFL. And I, I'm just worried about what the conversations look like today. I think they, I think Doug Peterson was a little too obvious. And so they saved themselves a top five pick. Is that right? Are they picking five? Six. They picked six. They, they would have gone to nine if they won. Mm, yeah, that's pretty valuable right there. And speaking of Jalen Hurts not playing that well, I actually think the Eagles might draft another quarterback. Got to be in the first round if they do that, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. At number six. Yeah. Man, that would be something. Oh, man. And then Carson, they really got to do something with that contract to move on from him. Yeah. yeah. And um, some bad, like the comes out yesterday that the relationship's fractured between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. It's fractured between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts. Um, <laughs> he's demanding a trade. And my only question is like, okay, if you're demanding a trade, you're also willing to restructure, right? Because no one is trading for your contract. So you got to say like, I'll take one tenth of the money that I'm owed to get out of here and get a chance somewhere else. Right. And, and that's when the Carson Wentz becomes a reality. If he is willing to do that. For sure. Next one coming in from love thunder down well, under one. There more from Jason, by the way, probably. Yeah, um, we read. Oh, no. at, oh he asked okay. about just, or he talked about, he said how he wanted to let Justin Simmons walk okay. and use the and, money elsewhere. And he suggests Marcus may for seven to $8 million a year. Now, Marcus may would actually argue he should get more than that. And by the way, one thing that's interesting, like he'll argue on the PFF rankings and Marcus may actually had a higher grade this year than Justin Simmons did. Yeah. Wow. Probably not a place where you're going to save money. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could probably save a couple million dollars, uh, but he's at that getting, point, yeah, he's getting paid too. Yeah. At that point, like keep your guy who has been yeah. the most exemplary, uh, ex you know, a teammate player community member that you could imagine. And, and just to clarify, he said, like, I said, he's not worth 15 million. I did not say that. Um, uh, I said, I don't think the Broncos want to pay him 15 million because they think that's elite safety money. And he is not elite. Um, I feel comfortable in saying that. But I would pay him. I would. Uh, I just don't think the Broncos are going to. Yeah, I, I, man, I have find it hard to believe that John Elway changes his his mind in less than a year. Next one from Love Thunder Down Under. Gents, merry happy end of whatever the beep that beeping piece of beep year season was. In the spirit of how beeping bad it was, I wanted to make a request for an article or a pod topic. Injury impact on season success and Super Bowl outcomes. Looked at quantitatively through the data point of active roster value as a percent of total cap spent. I spent some time looking at this week by week this year. And it was interesting. You'll recall that the Broncos were at about 50% active cap to the Bucks, 90% in week three. We always talk about injuries being an excuse and everyone has them. But my hypothesis is that they are actually the single greatest determinant of success. I'm not suggesting that the least injured team wins the Super Bowl every year, as there is not one single factor to drive such an outcome. But I'd suggest it would heavily influence as well as playoff participation and overall season performance. Thoughts? Happy to chat with any of you if you want to do some data work together on it i enjoy the beep out of each of you on twitter for being or i annoy the beep out of each of you enough on twitter for you be able to find me uh yeah i totally agree with this now probably not the number one cause but this just makes me think back to super bowl 50 and the denver broncos they were incredibly healthy and that was very important 
they were healthy, but they didn't lack for significant injuries. I mean, remember they had uh, Ryan Clady uh, out for the year, and that, and that was something that chewed up a, a good a good chunk of their cap, especially on the offensive line. But uh, yeah, a, a much better situation. And the thing is, whenever you talk about injuries and the ability to win it all, somebody's always going to throw back the 2010 Green Bay Packers with your boy Aaron Rodgers leading the way and how many injuries they had. But how many times we talk about when things are, you know, are the aberration, are the outlier, the Packers with all the injuries they had in 2010 winning it, that's the outlier. That's the unicorn. Usually you need some element of good luck to win a Super Bowl, no matter how good you are. And one of those elements is injuries. So I think there's something to this. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a massive factor in any team's success is how healthy you are. And unfortunately, it's the the one that's least tied to anything football related. It's a lot of luck. I know a lot of people want to fire the Broncos strength and conditioning staff because, you know, uh, Von Miller's ankle bent a weird way when he was, you know, coming around the corner. It's it's just not that simple. Um, if guys are pulling hammies all over the place, I think the Broncos – had KJ Hamler miss games because of a hamstring. Maybe one other player was held out because of a hamstring. If that's happening all over the place, then you can look at the strength and conditioning staff, torn ACLs and broken arms and all these stuff. That's just football related injuries. It has nothing to do with the strength and conditioning staff. In my opinion, you just have to have luck on your side and have it line up when you have a good team. Orange and blue Aussie says perfect game for the long term. Fourth place locked in. Ninth pick gives options. Lance is likely to be available at our pick. I'd be fine to move down as Mace mentioned up to pick up a first next year. Otherwise, it's fairly or certain at nine. If we trade down, JOK would be a great pick if he's still there. That's uh, get a first next year out of the trade down though. Thoughts? I like that. Uh, then we don't have to say his uh, difficult name. Uh, JOK. So actually, so, I, I want... so you've, you've got, you got Jokic, you got Joker and you have joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure someone will try to call him the Joker and then there'll be a big stir up on nuggets and, and Broncos Twitter. <laughs> um, I want to ask you guys this because I, I, I'm getting all sorts of people in my mentions uh, about this. And I totally forgot that we had already entered. He won't be there season. I will keep a running tally this year of how many players won't be there at number nine from different people. I think we can get over 15. Um, <laughs> so I said that I think the Broncos might trade back and take Patrick Sertan the second. Um, and, and I'm not talking like trade to 20. I think they could trade back to 12 uh, with someone who really likes a quarterback and wants to jump up into the top 10. Uh, but I want to ask you guys, where do you think Patrick Sertan goes? Do you think uh, he lasts to 12? No, I think he's a top top ten pick. To who? Oh boy, that's a good question. I, I gotta look at that, but I think he's one of those elite talents uh that are just after the quarterbacks. So I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised to see Dallas take him. So Dallas, I think, is definitely um the in my opinion, biggest threat if you were to trade back. Um, but I actually don't know. I think the combine uh, might hurt him a little bit. I don't know if he's quite in that elite area when it comes to speed. Uh, and that's something that is heavily valued at that position. Um, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm wrong on this one. I wouldn't, to, to be clear, I wouldn't complain about it if they took him at nine. What I think will happen is at nine, 
both Farley and Sertan, and this is my early, early guess. I, I reserve the right to change this based on combine numbers and all the other information. No, you're but locked in. When I said this, my thought was Broncos are at nine and Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan are both on the board. And they say, hey, we can trade back a few positions and, and either both of these guys will be still there or one of them will be there and we'll take whatever whoever's there and pick up uh, some extra capital along the way. Yeah. And if you're doing that, you're not picking up an additional first round pick in that case, you may be picking up like an additional third or something. Yep. Yeah. To, to get an extra one, you're talking about you kind of like the saints did or the Packers did pardon me trading with the saints a few years ago, the Marcus Davenport deal. You've probably got to move down anywhere from 10 to 14 or 15 slots. If you're going to get that extra, if you're going to get that extra first round pick in 2022, and that would take you out of the range of both of those corners. And it would put you in the Owusu Koromora range. Um, But the original thing, like the guys that I, that I'm sure will not be there at nine Lawrence fields. I would say Zach Wilson is getting close to that territory. Both the receivers, Jamar chase, Devontae Smith, I don't think Mike Parsons there is there at nine, and I don't think Panay Sewell is there at nine. And so there that, we go. I mean, what is that? Eight players? That's six. That's six. <laughs> that's six guys. Yeah, if we so, if I take Zach Wilson out of it, that's Fields, Lawrence, Sewell, or let's or Fields, Lawrence, Parsons, Sewell, Chase, and Smith. So that's six. That's and six then you guys. throw Wilson in, and it's seven. Yeah. And, and, and what I just hate is is acting like these things are certain no way he's there at, at, uh, at nine or even beyond. I just, I've, I've gone down this road too many times. Someone will surprise you in the top 10. We did how many mock drafts last year, the live mock drafts five. Yep. And zero times did Jerry Judy make it to 15. Well, guess what? Jerry Judy made it to 15 in real life because people in front of the Broncos did things that no one expected them to do. It's never as simple as just these are the top 10 guys. They're going in the top 10. It just doesn't work out that way. So um, I would be, I would not be surprised uh, for uh, Patrick Sertan to be there at 12. Um, And I think one of Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan uh, should be there at 12. And really, I mean, depending on how the quarterbacks fall, I mean, if, if, if Zach Wilson is sitting there at nine, I don't think the Broncos take him. But then all of a sudden that pick becomes extremely valuable in the trade market. Or even if Wilson's off the board and teams are saying, okay, we got to get QB four, we got to get Trey Lance. There may be an opportunity for the Broncos to get a nice haul to move down. If things at the quarterback position progress a certain way. And there are guys on the board that the Broncos aren't considering, but that are exceptionally valuable to other teams right now. And then you get more capital for 2022. And if Drew Locke doesn't work out, you have an you have ammunition to go up without breaking the bank in 2022. If you want to take a quarterback at the top of that draft. All right, um, that'll be a fun one to do about every player. Uh, will they be there at nine? <laughs> well, I mean that's uh, that's just what that's about ten podcasts, right? I mean we can just we can just go. Although the Trevor Lawrence will he be there at nine? No, next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, where were we here? Uh, we're on to uh, we're on to Sunny Rain now, and who he and he or she says, just think, it wasn't so long ago that Garrett Bowles was a joke with his nickname. 
Now he's likely the 2020 offensive MVP. Now he's hashtag Pro Bowls, or he should be. Garrett has improved so much that I can no longer automatically say his number as holding calls are handed out. It blew my mind to see them take to see him take off like he did. Dude was a positive play's worst enemy. Now look at him. He didn't beat us. He beat them, and I'm super proud of him. Now we have to come up with a more fitting moniker. Imagine that. Drew Locke, I hope you're next to blow my mind. We really need it. Yep, there. that would be uh, everyone's top pick, except for all the people who just hope that they're right about Drew Locke not being the guy. Um, they want, They would rather be right than the Broncos would be good. But um, if everyone could pick one player uh, to have the, the Garrett Bowles turn around next year, uh, it should be Drew Locke. Um, Garrett Bowles, man, what a story. What a story. Um, definitely the ultimate highlight. Uh, of 2020 for the Broncos for him to really pull it all together and become what the Broncos are saying with their money, a franchise left tackle. Yeah. And if they could have that from drew lock guys, then this team's a playoff team without a doubt. If we're talking about drew lock being snubbed from the pro bowl next year, good (laughs) things have happened. Yes, exactly. Next one coming in from Dan Burke. Hey guys, just wanted to thank you all for the coverage of the team this season and for keeping us all engaged through another disappointing year. Now that we're picking ninth, is there any chance we get to coach the senior bowl? I'm not sure if the third pick it, it, in the draft is allocated to Houston or Miami for senior bowl seating, but if they're counting it as the Texans pick, then the Broncos may have a shot there. Jags would probably fire Marone. Jets already fired Gaze. Houston already fired Bill O'Brien. Falcons already fired Dan Quinn. Bengals coached it last year. Peterson was reported to be safe but i'm not so sure after last night and the lions fired patricia that means the broncos and panthers could be the teams that coach the senior bowl what do y'all think well so yeah it, teams it, in the yeah. running are broncos panthers eagles is that what we're saying here yeah and but Man. yeah because houston will be out of it even though if houston kept its coaching staff they would be there because back in 2018 the Texans didn't have a first round pick, but they were coming off a bad season and they were still there. So there's a chance, but uh, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, Carolina ahead of them. So it's, it's not a great chance. I know it's, I know it's on their radar just in case, but uh, uh, if they don't want to go back to Cincinnati for a second straight year, I can't see Philadelphia or Carolina turning it down. Right. I think that you, you can't do it two years in a row. Isn't that right? Supposedly, and that's a recent change because there have been like I remember there 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 were there was a time where it seemed like the Raiders were going like every other every year for a little bit, or the 49ers were as well. But Philadelphia and Carolina, I think they're likely to 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 take the opportunity, especially Carolina going through some flux in personnel. They fired GM Marty Herney, so they're going to need all the intel that they can get. So I'd imagine that those teams would say yes. Yeah, you hope for some reason the Eagles don't want to do it. Uh, yeah, and and then it falls in. Is it is it automatic based on the order, or can the does the Senior Bowl have some sort of control over it? It's all they go to those teams first. They've had they've had some different structures for it. A long time ago, it was the two best teams who didn't make the playoffs. Mm, oh, I like wow. that better. I, yeah. I do too. Kind of, kind of a reward a little bit. Now they consider it something where we're helping the bad teams, just like the draft itself. The worst team picks first, and the worst teams get 
fourth place schedules. They consider the, the, the league and the senior bowl consider this another way to help out the teams at the bottom of the rung. I love that. Uh, but I do kind of like the idea of like giving it to the, giving some sort of incentive for teams to win at the end of the season. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Um, I, man, that would be huge. One thing you don't want to be talking about every off season is could the Broncos coach the senior bowl and could they be on hard knocks? And we have another season of that. Um, Broncos are going to be very high. I feel on the list of, uh, of hard knocks, potential destinations. Could be, could be. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like they could finally come here uh, because it seems like that, that the Broncos were a top three finalist for the past few years. Yep, exactly. Who did they do last year? I didn't even watch. First time in 10 years, I didn't even watch one episode. Was they it the LA teams? Both of them, both both LA teams. And of course, I mean, you start going through it and what are the standards for hard knocks? It's that you haven't been a playoff team the last two years. You don't have a first year head coach and you haven't been on the show at any point in the last, uh, in the last 10 years. So that would like, for example, that would rule out uh, Miami, which I believe was on the show in 2012. And I think uh, would have actually been, would have actually been a candidate uh, would rule out the Raiders. It would rule out the chargers. Um, well, and chargers are also right. ruled out as they have made a head coaching right. change. Anthony Lynn is officially gone. Bad news for the Broncos, I would say, um, <laughs> but they are the chargers. There's always a way for them to charger it up. That's very, very true. So I think you'd be looking at um, the Broncos, the Giants. Uh, has Arizona been on? They did the uh, the uh, the other one. They did all or think. nothing. Okay, oh, yeah, all or nothing. That's it. Okay, so you've been looking at the the Giants, the Broncos. If you don't count all or nothing, uh, the Cardinals. Um. Carolina. Yeah, you wonder if so, they'll There's not if, many. Yeah. You wonder if New York just with the market there will uh will be too attractive to pass up. You got a Patriots coach, uh, ex-Patriots coach there in Joe Judge. I, he would I, I'd love, love that. Yeah, that's the thing he wants more than anything <laughs> in the world right now. <laughs> what what is appealing about them though? I mean, I guess Saquon coming back from injury and like uh... Saquon in New York. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's it. That sucks. Although <laughs> they tried both LA teams and it's a different market. They just got back to LA, but they tried both LA teams and the ratings were terrible. So. Yeah. You got to, uh, you got to go all in on one team in my opinion, all or nothing, if you will. Hey. Um, Chevalier mortgage, uh, is the place to go. If you are all in on getting a new home, they will get you set up with everything you need for your mortgage. They want to discuss with you all of your options. They're going to treat you like family because they are part of your family, the DNVR family, uh, as their longtime DNVR supporters and members. So make sure you check them out at dnvrmortgage.com and get entered to win a free DNVR shirt or hat when you do. And all you and it's free because you get a free consultation with them to be entered. Um, and, and they just want to help out. Um, so call them at 303-257-6578 or visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. That's Chevalier Mortgage, Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006, and Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. Well, we've all got a lot more time on our hands now without Broncos, and specifically on Sunday. So I suggest heading out to the golf course, 
But the great thing is you don't need to go anywhere in order to get in on WGT Golf. In fact, you can travel all around the world with our friends at WGT Golf. You can play at St. Andrews, Bandon Dunes, Wolf Creek, and of course, my favorite, Pebble Beach. And what I love about WGT Golf is it's so realistic. And you can play for five minutes or you can play for multiple hours on end. And we want you to play with us. So what can you do to play with us? We'll go to dnvrgolf.com to download the most popular golf game in the world. That's WGT Golf. Once you download the free app, go into the Country Club section and search for DNVR4. That's DNVR and the number four next to it to join our series of clubhouses, which has almost a thousand people in it. That will get you access to all of our weekly tournaments and you can play against people in those clubhouses as well. So make sure to check out DNVRGolf.com to download WGT Golf and get in on the DNVR4 Country Club. Next one here from LDJ. Man, season could not have ended better for me. That Jerry Judy TD made up for all the drops this year. You just wanted to see flashes to see the special player we drafted, and we got that. Not to mention it was schemed up perfectly. Great call by Shermer, and we got a top 10 pick. And one thing that I uh, – a couple things here. One, Jerry Judy's acceleration when he got the ball in his hands was special. Um, that I, I don't – you know, I – I'm sure next gen stats has it. I would guess that was the fastest he ran all year and not even when he turned it upfield, but when he, when he was going across the field also Raiders only brought two on that play and drew lock still didn't have a great pocket to make that throw. Um, it, it was a wide open throw, but it was still a good, good throw by him. Um, a little concerning from the tackles that they got pushed near drew lock on that play. Um, but it was a pretty bad defensive call um and bad angles by the Raiders but still so great to see him with the LDJ he exploded across the middle of the field and up the sideline it didn't matter what angle the Raiders defenders took they weren't catching him yeah it was pretty awesome to see he says I don't care about the Monday morning QB media they're going to look at the results with zero perspective and I'm not saying Jimmy Garoppolo is below mediocre he's a decent QB but if the 49ers aren't panicking they know Healthy, they can be special again. They might have finally found something out of Jason Verrett. Yet they aren't panicking like our injuries aren't an excuse. It's a fact, SMH, not to mention a game where we had no QB. So so all the media that can praise them that love John Lynch, despite what their record has been his entire tenure, I'm ignoring them. This offseason should be called from Drewnet and the Shermanator Judgment Day. Sherm only has his job based on continuity and continuity alone. How he rises and falls is on Drew, as does this team. Melvin Gordon is 100% accurate. 100% this team goes how Drew goes. I want to see Zoom interviews with Pat Shermer walking around the back of Drew's parents' house. I want if I want if lives with Drew and Shermer. I want Drew to spend more time with Shula and Shermer than he does his girlfriend. And I need the wide receivers and Drew all together this offseason. Chemistry. I will trust L.A. to make the tough calls on defense. A lot of decisions to make, but man, nobody had these kind of injuries. We could easily be 2-14 and 14 or 3-13. and 13. I'm happy we have no choice but to run it back with Drew, and we'll see next season. Love you guys, and thanks for being honest and transparent about this team, not narrative-driven. P.S. I can't stress chemistry enough. In hindsight, maybe Drew spent too much time targeting the heck out of Cortland in training camp. How much chemistry did Drew really develop with Judy? You know, well, it's not all on Drew because uh, the Broncos coaching staff uh, 
didn't have Jerry Judy running with the ones the entire training camp. <laughs> yeah, and there was there is no question who Drew Locke's favorite target was in training camp, and it certainly was Cortland Sutton. So that'll be big for him to have him back next year as well. Yep, and and a lot of training camp, it was Cortland Sutton. Who else? Deshaun Hamilton. Uh, like who? Tim was Patrick. Lot Tim, Tim Patrick. Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you didn't even get like a lot of uh, Cortland Judy. Uh, um kj no you didn't you didn't at all yeah and the other and and the thing is when drew went back to throw at least the days that i was there it clearly like where he his algorithm was it was Cortland, fant tim patrick and then it was a kind of a long gap to everybody else in terms of the chemistry and trust uh, that he had and uh, lo and behold you know, Tim Patrick led the team in touchdown catches and Noah Fant led the team in receptions. Yep. Shalongo so. Bronco. Hey guys, I remember the first time I heard you when you delivered the news that Paxton Lynch was cut. It felt like hope and optimism was on the horizon. Now, after a lot of hot pocket, best water, salmon cooking, holes in a straw discussion, still can't feel that hope is anywhere near. Came for a Broncos discussion, stayed for the blood as food, Food that can be eaten at every meal and relationship references. Happy New Year and much love, Chilongo Bronco. <laughs> hey, thank you so much from an OG with all of those references. Can't oh, wait to yeah. find out what stupid conversations we have this offseason. I mean, all he's missing is uh, Pop-Tarts. Oh, yeah, Pop-Tarts were in there. <laughs> yeah. We'll find something. We always do. Oh, we will. I can't wait. Yep, Count Locula. Let's say we get better, healthy. The draft is good. How do we rise past Vic's ubiquitous in-game infelicities? Love the count. Hire someone. Hire someone <laughs> to handle them. It could be pretty darn easy. They, yes, they had someone. Cool. They had someone. They let him go. His name was Mitch Tanny. Maybe, uh, maybe Mitch is out on the open market. <laughs> I think he's on LinkedIn. Uh, maybe we can get Mitch Tanny as a guest this offseason. Oh, that would be good. Get his take on blood sausage and stuff. Yes, exactly. Everyone wants to know how many straws he thinks, how many holes are in a straw. Yeah. Uh, Next, he's a Hall ahead. of Famer, by the way, is Mitch Tanny. In what? He is a member of the Monmouth College Fighting Scots Hall of Fame. Wow. We could have a Hall of Famer on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Do they give him a, do they give him a red jacket for being a uh, member of the Monmouth Fighting Scots Hall of Fame? I think it's plaid. It's a plaid jacket. It sounds very plaid, yeah. yeah very very tartan, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Next one from Threat Level Midnight. RK, you briefly mentioned it, but I thought the same thing while watching the game. Jerry Judy showed out in a big way to put the team that passed up over him for a lesser wide receiver. The 92-yard touchdown was a dagger to Gruden and company. Tin foil halftime. Gruden was purposely trying to screw up the two-point conversion for a better draft spot, but Vic and the rest of the staff wanted the Raiders to win also for draft position. What do you guys think? Honestly, honestly, my first thought when Vic Bengio called the timeout was that he really didn't want to go to overtime, and he was just doing them a favor because he was afraid that if they got the five-yard penalty, they wouldn't go for it anymore. That was my first thought. I don't – upon reflection – I don't actually think that's what happened, but that honestly was my first thought. My question was, what was John Elway's reaction in, in, in the box when he saw the Raiders convert the two? Was he pumping his fist or was he actually upset? I think he just like rolled his eyes and walked out of the box like, to go downstairs. 
Like, I just imagine him being like, oh, my God, and then walking away. Like, n- pretty indifferent, but just annoyed. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, annoyed at yet another mismanagement snafu. The interesting thing, and these are things that you would know if you had an analytics person there. If they if they go back five yards and then say, okay, we're gonna tr- we're gonna try the extra point, that they have a ninety percent of hit chance of hitting that, but then only a fifty percent chance of theoretically winning in overtime. So if they if they go for the extra point. You're actually you actually have a better chance of winning all around. Not to mention the fact that you have possession at the end of regulation too. Yeah, I I, I just think yeah. that they wanted to get the hell out of there. Yeah. So by calling timeout and letting him go for two, you actually gave yourself the worst chance of winning because right there, two point conversions usually right around fifty four percent for the offense. I just think no one wanted overtime. <laughs> Well, that's true. And we didn't get it. Thanks, John. Next one from Lou Drock. Hey guys, happy new year's to y'all. And thank you for the great work in 2020. I'm thinking this offseason will be relatively straightforward. Famous last words for the Broncos fully expect a cornerback to be picked at nine or we trade back and get one and fully expect lock to start week one. Free agency will involve us picking up an average vet QB to support lock. I don't see tons of holes to plug. We just need to get healthy. The biggest question mark for me is what do we do with Vaughn? I'm hoping for a three year restructured deal, but what do you think will happen i don't want to see him walk away in a year but maybe i'm letting my heart rule my head thanks guys all the best in 2021 really hope for the broncos play the jags in london this year and you guys can get over here for a beer and live pot in the good old london pub go broncos charlie that's the dream dude Mm -hmm. it is (laughs) yeah with vaughn i think they'll offer him a restructure and i don't think he'll take it that's that's where I'm leaning right now. Just with when this these past couple months, when he's been asked about it, uh, just his mindset toward it. I I don't think uh, the Broncos and Vaughn will agree on a number right now. My God, I'm looking at uh, another graph here. Second and long pass rate in 2020. Um, the Seahawks passed the ball almost. Uh, it looks like 87% of the time in second and long. The, and that's the number one uh, team. The Broncos uh, pass the ball. It's looking like 56% of the time. Uh, last in the league by a pretty wide margin here. Um, that's one thing I really, I really want to see change in 2021. Like I just can't handle uh, I, I just can't handle the run, run, pass pattern over and over again. We got a good dose of it yesterday, too. Oh, my God. Yesterday was maybe the worst one. <laughs> Especially in the third quarter. Yeah, exactly. Next one from Pit Tosser 66. Thanks for keeping us all going through another crap season, fellas. You make being a fan of a bad football team not as painful. Thank you so much. That's what we're here for. I think we should try to be all very thankful that the NFL was able to get this full season in. Just think if they only got 12 or 14 or even less games in and we didn't get the experience and growth for our young team. We had optimism for this season, but realistically, this wasn't going to be a team that was a true contender yet. Hopefully, we look back at this season as a necessary step in the process one that needed to happen and couldn't be skipped. 
As far as the most important thing for this season, it is too bad that we don't have the definitive answer on Drew that everyone wanted. I will say that he is trending up and showed some clear growth and development over the last five weeks of the season. That is encouraging because it shows me that Drew wants this very bad, is a smart player and is a humble player. He wants to be a gunslinger, but realized midway through the season that he needed to change or he wasn't going to be the quarterback in Denver. I love that he's... I love that he saw where he needed to improve and was able to make the necessary adjustments in his game to allow him to develop as an NFL quarterback. I'd rather have a talented guy that has to learn how to play more efficiently than a guy that is already efficient, but only has average talent. If Drew can ingrain this efficiency in the game as his normal and be comfortable in it, then it is the right time to let him be that gunslinger and come out when it's needed. Not the only other way around, Right now, you guys can tell he is super focused on playing safe, but I think we will see more of the wow plays as he progresses. Bottom line, Drew is developing. Yeah, and there's no doubt about that. You, you can't argue that he's not developing. You can't argue that he didn't trend up late in the season. Um, and it does feel like he realized that he needs to make a, a change. Uh, we talked about an identity crisis last week, and I think you know it, it, if you're looking for signs, it kind of looked like that was a sign uh, yesterday that he's coming to terms with who the new Drew Locke has to be. Well, exactly. also I think Pat Shermer had some growth as well because he, he changed the game plans to basically protect Drew Locke and allow him to develop and to encourage more judicious decision-making on, on his part. So I, I think Drew is developing. I also think Pat Shermer did a good job adjusting to what Drew Locke is at this point. The question is, can he, can he get to the next level? Sometimes you see flashes, but uh, I'm going to kind of go old school flashback here. Uh, sometimes I see the development curve for Drew Locke being uh, uh, like that of Trent Dilfer. And Hey, the Ravens won a Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer but the Bucs had some real ups and downs along the way. And I could see uh, Drew Locke having that sort of progression too. Next one for asking for a friend. What should the Broncos New Year's resolution be? Um, be more aggressive and uh, learn analytics. <laughs> Resolve to get the ownership situation squared away this year, one way or the other. Mm, I like that. I'm going to say make the playoffs. Like it from DK, my boys. Hopefully I get this comment in on time. I just wanted to say thanks for all you guys do. My commute home has been indefinitely better with you guys along for the ride. Well, thank you for riding with us. Question. How do you think Judy's numbers would have been this year if a healthy Sutton on the other side? I think he would have easily eclipsed a thousand yards if Sutton had been healthy this year. I feel like that's one thing everyone looks overlooks when comparing Judy and Jefferson. Jefferson benefited greatly from having Thielen on the opposite side, as well as having mostly consistent quarterback play. This is a weird one. Uh, you could make the case that his numbers would have gone up. You could also make the case his numbers would have gone down uh, because Corlin Sutton might've gone for 1500 yards for all we know. Um, so I don't know. What I will say is I don't think, I, I just think you would have seen a more consistent Jerry Judy. Um, but I think the chemistry that he built with Drew this year as the number one wide receiver in a lot of looks um, is going to be really important next year when they have both those guys on the field. Maybe we'll see it in training camp that, that Drew is really spreading around his looks rather than just looking at Cortland instantly and then moving on from him. Yeah, and the thing about having Cortland uh, on the field is it would have opened Jerry up more. Well, Jerry was open a lot of the time, so I'm not sure that would have helped that much more. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the other thing is, 
he had 113 targets and of course uh, had the drops, had some plenty of misfires on Drew Locke's part. So only 52 receptions. I don't think he's getting targeted 113 times if Cortland Sutton is out there. I think you're probably knocking that down by at least a third. So I'm not sure the end of the season numbers would have matched what he ended up having. Big Tosser coming in with another one. Says, doesn't Vic calling the timeout before the two-point conversion show he only cares about defense and cannot see the entire game picture? It's an interesting point. Well, yeah, because he, he talks specifically about how he wanted to get his defense set up. Right, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a very good way of looking at a pig tosser. And you've got to go beyond that. Bill Belichick, I remember a few years ago when you had Super Bowl Forty Nine, he talked about why he didn't take a timeout before the play that ended in Malcolm Butler's interception because he saw some chaos and disorganization on the Seahawks' part as they were getting things together. And his attitude was, okay, they don't seem to be on the same page. I'm not going to give them a lifeline. And that's the way you've got to think of it. Maybe it's in your mind looking at what you guys, your guys are doing and wanting to get them set up. But you also have to look at what the other team is doing. That's the head coach's job. Yeah, and it's a classic thing to make a team line up for a two-point conversion like that and then call a timeout. Coaches do it all the time because they're hoping that you call your number one best two-point conversion play. Then you show the formation you call timeout and force them to call their second best two-point conversion play. But Vic just didn't see what was happening uh, aside from that. Right. And finally, the last one coming in here from the other Ryan, my boys, it's sad, but I've never been more relieved for a season to be over. Thank you for the great content and coverage during the strangest and at times absurdest of seasons, a big DNV army salute to each of you and all of the DNVR family. And thank you. DNVR salute to you as well. Pat Shermer was a favorite whipping boy in Broncos country this season, but his offense generated 27 or more points five times this season with no on-field OTAs, minicamps, preseason games, a cram session training camp, and for only having Cortland Sutton for two quarters of a game. While not an elite level as far as an offensive output and efficiency, he's done a much better job, in my opinion, than those who produce preceded him in Rick Dennison, Mike McCoy, Bill Musgrave, and Rich Gangrello. Your thoughts also, as of today, who is your target with the ninth pick? I think mine is Patrick Sertan, Caleb Farley, or Michael Parsons. On to free agency and draft preparation. Have a magical Monday. DNV Army salute. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot more uh, of those names, and I think we'll each one of those guys will probably have their own show at some point in the offseason where we talk about them at length. Uh, so a week of shows. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll, we'll get into those guys, but those are clearly uh, at least three of the top five when it comes to who the Broncos may be selecting. So um, looking forward to diving into the tape more and talking about those guys a lot more. Absolutely, yeah. Those are definitely the leaders in the clubhouse now. All right, before we get out of here, shout out to Green Mountain Dental Group where you can schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam uh, and get a free Sonicare toothbrush. They're Denver sports fans just like you, uh, and they want to add you to their family as they're already part of your family, the DNVR family. So check them out. Green Mountain Dental Group just outside of Denver and Lakewood. They're the best damn family-owned dentist group in the metro area. But for today, that wraps it up for us. Thanks to everyone who's uh, been with us all season long and will continue to be with us all off-season long. We will, of course, talk to you tomorrow.